A fortnightly podcast about some great stealth slash stealthy video games and also some rubbish ones. On every episode, we go in-depth and all spoilery on one specific game and we discuss whether said game stealth and its boom-boom are up to snuff. My name is Colm Ahern and joining me on this episode is a man whose favourite pastime is either planting bombs or defusing them. I can never tell. It's Adam Carroll. Good evening. And alongside him is a man that's prone to a viral infection. It's Josh Wise. (laughs) Hello. Although today I feel like I am the one who is prone to a viral infection. Yeah, you've got the lurgy now. You can't talk. I cannot. You've got the omega strain. (laughs) I do. I do. Now, before we chat about the game we're discussing today, of course, we need to get into the right headspace. And that means looking at what was happening in the world on and around the date that today's game came out. So grab your party hats, blowers, confetti and what have you, because tonight we're going to party like it's February 16th, 1999. So two days later... On the 18th of February, the character of Dr. Doug Ross would leave the TV show ER. Of course, Ross was played by a very young actor that was hoping to go on to big things in Hollywood, Mr. George Clooney. And he ended up in just Nespresso ads. <laughs> and Batman and Robin. <laughs> on the 12th of February, country music star and son of Ireland, Garth Brooks, announced that he was going to try his hand at baseball for the San Diego Padres. He said, quote, I'm excited, I'm nervous, I'm scared. You know, it's going to be neat. Oh. <laughs> he, he did, apparently, some sort of tryout for them. And, well, he can fill Croke Park five nights on their trot, but a baseball player, he is not. And on the 10th of February, a man by the name of Jerry Falwell, who is a televangelist, or was a televangelist, warned American parents about Tinky Winky. Yes, the Teletubby Tinky Winky. Um, He deemed Tinky Winky to be gay. He said, quote, he is purple, the gay pride colour. And his antenna is shaped like a triangle, the gay pride symbol. Uh, He also took issue with a bag that the Teletubby carries, which Falwell called a purse. Oh my God. The BBC responded by saying, quote, Tinky Winky is simply a sweet technological baby with a magic bag. (laughs) Marvellous quote. In music, celebrating her second week in the top spot in America, was Monica with Angel of Mine. Who's Monica? Yeah. I think Monica was the woman that Brandy did that song with. Did you know? That boy is man. Oh, yeah. That's oh, shit. Yeah. Meanwhile, in the UK, a song I think both of you will remember, a new entry at number one, and a song that was also in an ad for the Peugeot 206, it was Lenny Kravitz with Fly oh, Away. Fly Away. Oh. 
watch you. He wanted to get away. He wanted to fly away. And he did for loads of money, thanks to a French car manufacturer. <laughs> Movies then, and in America, topping the box office, was a film that was panned by critics. But what do critics know, eh? It was a box office smash. It was the romantic drama starring Robin Wright and Kevin Costner, Message in a Bottle. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, that's not a good movie. But what the fuck do I know? What the fuck do I know? Indeed. Uh, In the UK, it was a film we have mentioned before because it topped the US box office at a different time. And at this time in the UK, it was in the middle of a five-week run as the number one movie, and it was Pixar's second ever feature film, A Bug's Life. Excellent stuff. So that's what was happening in the world on and around the date that today's game came out. But look, let's talk about the game that we're meant to be talking about today in a segment that we like to call Back of the Box. So yes, the game we are talking about today, as alluded to earlier, is Siphon Filter. Now, what is Siphon Filter? I generally try and give you a sentence or two summary of what it is. Well, Siphon Filter, it's a stealth action game where, and I cannot stress this enough, you must shoot bad guys in the head or there's going to be a virus that kills everyone or something. Honestly, who knows what happens in Siphon Filter? It's very hard to tell at the best of times. I have some, some, well, I normally say I have some platforms and release dates. I have only one platform. This was, of course, a PlayStation exclusive, PlayStation 1 exclusive. It came out in North America on the 16th of February, 1999. And it came out in Europe a couple of months later on the 16th of July, 1999. And this is the part of this segment where we look at the back of the physical box. And what uh, the three of us have here in front of us is the back of the UK PS1 box. And this is a bit of a disappointing one. It's quite dry. It doesn't add an awful lot of colour. But I do like how how it's chosen some some aspects of Gabe Logan, the protagonist, his, his gadgets, I suppose. So on the back of the box, it says a specialist in combat weaponry. And it says mission resources include... Flashlight, flak jacket, taser, silenced 9mm handgun, PK-102 assault rifle, HK, is it? S pistol machine gun, sniper and night vision rifles. Now, in 1999, like maybe today you'd have some gun perverts like Josh Weiss. In 1999, I mean, PK-102 assault, I don't, assault rifle will do. It's true. It's yeah, true. It's good good to be specific about these things. If I know I'm getting the PK, then I know I'm buying that game, you know. <laughs> you know? Um, and also uh, on the back of the box it says navigational expert cover 20 levels of 360 degree open areas. Kind of. Yeah, that is the back of the Siphon Filter UK PS1 box. And this is the part of this segment where I normally recap the story. How'd you get on? Ah, this was a toughie. This was a toughie. I won't lie. But I'll do my best. And I think genuinely the people at home will get a better understanding of the story from my recap than if they play the game. So... Our story begins with two secret agents, protagonist Gabe Logan and his right-hand woman, Leanne Zing, I think is how you pronounce her name. Uh, I apologise if anyone is listening and actually knows how to pronounce her name. Um, But Gabe does call her Leanne 
So we will be accepting both throughout this podcast. <laughs> I think I think it's the American accent, but I don't know. Either way, these two work for a CIA-like government agency called, well, the agency. It's very creative. <laughs> and they are investigating some viral outbreaks across the world, which brings them to a jungle in Costa Rica, where they discover a terrorist group called Black Baton, who are <laughs> up to no good. Now, Black Baton is led by a guy called Eric Romer, and it also consists of a French lad called Anton Gurdou and a Russian lady called Mara Aramov. Now, before Gabe and Leanne can reach them, the group have already left, and they destroyed all evidence that they were there, and they've also killed a fellow agency agent by the name of Ellis who I believe shows up in Siphon Filter 3 somehow I don't know it's something to look forward to in season 19 of this podcast (laughs) anyway in Washington DC at the agency HQ director Thomas Markinson and deputy director Edward Benton are talking with an unidentified third man who I think also does come into play in the sequel and even he does come into play at the very end of this game but anyway they're talking to him and they're discussing their next moves basically shortly after we see Gabe and Leanne in a village in Nepal where they mention that this mysterious virus has killed every within a hundred miles of the village that they're in. Everyone except for one person. Ooh, mystery. How did that happen? Read on to find out. So Black Baton and Romer have launched an attack on American soil by placing viral bombs across the city and in this subway system. Gabe goes in there, kills Romer's comms expert and finds all these bombs and gets the US Army Chemical and Biological Defence Command to come in and safely dispose of them. Between the jigs and the reels, some explosives are set off in the underground and Gabe has to navigate a fiery mess in order to get out. Gabe doesn't find Romer, but he does find secondary antagonist Mara Aramov after dodging some oncoming trains. It's all very tense. Anyway, after uh, a bit, after that battle um, with her, where she doesn't actually die, Gabe heads to Washington Park, where it's believed there's a big virus bomb along with Black Baton's Anton Gurdou. In short, both the bomb and the man are there and Gabe puts a stop to both of them. There's also a bit here where Gabe suspects there might be a leak in the agency, something I mentioned because of what I'll say in a second. So Leanne and Gabe meet with Director Markinson back at the base to discuss a lead, Jonathan Fagan and the pharmaceutical company Farcom. So Gabe thinks Farcom might be funding Romer's terrorist antics. So Gabe heads to this event centre where he dresses up as James Bond. Josh and Adam are going to talk about it later and he tails Fagan to a meeting with Aramov and Benton. Oh my god Benton, the agency deputy director, is the leak. God, Mm. wow, amazing. (laughs) Uh, During their conversation... It's revealed that Benton and Aramov don't want to play nice with Fagan and they threaten him. At this point, Gabe is spotted, Fagan runs off, uh, Aramov goes after him in hot pursuit. Benton sticks around to fight Gabe, but Gabe kills Benton because he's just a bad motherfucker. After fighting his way through the building, Gabe finds Aramov and Fagan, but he can't kill either because they have info that he needs. So he knocks out Aramov while Fagan escapes. Back to Agency HQ then, where Director Markson tells Gabe and Leanne that Fagan has done a runner but they know Romer's base is in Kazakhstan so Gabe heads there because he's going to blow that son of a bitch up during that mission Gabe's in contact with Leanne uh, who he hears while he's in contact with her he hears her being captured and killed over the radio by that dastardly Romer oh my god uh, Gabe then has his version of uh, the the Hind D fight he blows up the base and then he escapes back once again at the agency Director Markinson tells Gabe that they've got some intel on the virus at last the virus this is the important bit is called Siphon Filter and it is capable of killing large numbers of people 
of course, but the chilling aspect of the virus is that one can program it to only kill certain people while leaving other people unharmed. To learn more about the virus, Markinson tells Gabe he needs to head to a big cathedral in Ukraine where it's believed that Jonathan Fagan is being held captive by Romer. It's here, in some real evil villain secret labs, where Romer's conducting experiments on test subjects. So Gabe goes in, he kills anyone involved in this testing business, and he administers an agency-created vaccine to all of the test subjects. Eventually, Gabe finds Fagan's cell, but before he takes him out of the cell, Fagan tells Gabe that Leanne is both alive, oh my God, and that Fagan can show Gabe where she's being held captive. So Fagan takes Gabe to Leanne and then Fagan does a run her again. At this point, Leanne tells Gabe that she's been infected with siphon filter and that the vaccine that Markson was going on about is phony baloney. Oh, Jesus. So the two of them need to head for these DNA sequencing computers in a warehouse in a different location again in order to program... Uh, uh, the, the virus there that's what they're doing there uh, as they're escaping they meet Aramov who shoots Fagan in the head and they're now a goodie because she says that Romer has gone too far and has to be stopped or something I, I can't remember uh, while navigating the warehouse Leanne discovers that the vaccine that Markinson gave Gabe was basically a lethal injection so Markinson <laughs> was just getting Gabe to quite cruelly kill these test subjects. Oh, what a bastard. Uh, also here, Gabe finds plans for a rocket that he surmises must have something to do with Romer's plans for a siphon filter. Uh, you know, he's very clever because he's right. It is. So fast forwarding quite a bit, Gabe eventually finds a rocket that's loaded with siphon filter and it's ready for launch. Markinson then pops his head in. He tells Logan that he's been secretly helping Romer, basically from the beginning, somewhere around there. Then Romer turns up and he shoots Markinson in the head. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, Gabe does eventually save the day by reaching the mainframe room and he detonates the missile before it's able to wreak havoc on the world. He then has a bit of a battle with Romer, which he obviously wins. He f- flings a gas grenade in his face and Romer is caught and compromised. Uh, Gabe and Leanne leave the area and they've saved the world. Credits roll and it's fantastic and the story of Siphon Filter is told. Oh my God, it's an MCU post-credits scene. Uh, Yes, because after the credits, we see the unidentified man from that opening cut scene, the one with Benton and Markinson, and he's telling Aramov, well done, my dear, while you see Farcom boxes in his office. Oh God. Uh, Unlike the game we discussed at the start of this year, Siphon Filter did get a sequel. So at least this was a tease for something. Uh, So the developer of this one then, uh, the developer of the game we're talking about today, is now known as Bend Studio. But they were known as Eidetic when Siphon Filter was released. But before that, they began life in 1992 as a company called Blank Berlin & Co. Having been founded by two men, Mark Blank and Michael Berlin. Now both had previously worked at developer Infocom, best known for their highly influential text-based adventure game series of the late 1970s, early 1980s, Zork. So back to this new company, Blank Berlin and Company. So they started life making games for the Apple Newton, which was a PDA made by Apple Computers. So it's a sort of proto-iPhone, I suppose. They released about five or six games for this thing. Blank Berlin and Co. before they decided to expand the business. So they changed their name to Eidetic and in April 1995, 
they decided to jump on one of the new home consoles on the market, the PlayStation. Now, this was going to be tough because, you know, this was their first console game. This was their first 3D game. This was their first Bobcat game. Yes, the first game released by Eidetic is the famously awful platformer Bubsy 3D. It launched on PlayStation 1 in November 1996 in America. It was the fourth game in the Bubsy series and it launched to at best middling reviews but it is now often seen as yes one of the worst games of all time one of the game's programmers christopher reese spoke to ign for their uh, from siphon filter to uncharted sony ben story article in september 2011 and reese said quote the playstation had introduced the capability of doing 3d it was all the rage to do 3d so that was sort of the transition and it was a hard transition there was a lot to figure out. John Garvin, Siphon Filter artist and writer, also spoke to IGN about the much maligned platformer, saying that other 3D platformers made Bubsy 3D look worse than it was. While Mario 64 made most 3D platformers of the time look poor, Garvin said that it was another PS1 exclusive that killed Bubsy 3D, Crash Bandicoot. He said, quote, Crash did not have huge open vistas. It had very tight, linear, rail-driven gameplay that looked beautiful. They had tons and tons of textures and lots of special effects and really great animations. My guys came back from E3 that year after seeing Crash and they were like, oh, we're fucked, right? And he was right, in fairness. In an interview with YouTuber Emu Gamer, lead designer Richard Hamm said that their next game was going to be Bubsy 4D. <laughs> but that was cancelled after the flop that was Bubsy 3D. Not Bubsy 6D. That's what Looking Glass would have been yes. doing. Yes. As people who listen to our Thief episode would know. Famously. So yeah. Eidetic's future didn't lie in 3D platformers or 4D platformers. Eidetic were then approached by Sony to make a new game called Siphon Filter. And while most would think the idea was for Sony to have a Metal Gear Solid that they owned, that wasn't the case. Metal Gear Solid wasn't the impetus for Siphon Filter. Garvin told IGN, quote, It all started with this one-page synopsis, an action espionage thriller. GoldenEye N64 just come out and it was really successful and they kind of wanted the PlayStation equivalent of that. Eidetic had experience developing a 3D game for the new console and they had an engine. So they were set up to give this new spy thriller a go. But according to Ham, they didn't have much love for the original pitch of Siphon Filter. He said, quote, The original story of Siphon Filter that we signed is nothing like what the final game was. Siphon Filter, from Sony's perspective, is going to be set like 200 years in the future, in a kind of post-apocalypse world where nature had risen up and destroyed humanity. Crazy, far out. It was kind of a future world that was kind of fantasy, but kind of futuristic stuff. We signed the project because we needed to eat, but in all honesty, we had no interest in subject matter in this game at all. However, in an interview with PlayStation Blog in 2012, Garvin spoke about how the game's development wasn't entirely smooth. He said, quote, The first siphon filter went through a few rough patches and came close to being cancelled several times as we missed deadlines, revamped mechanics, swapped levels around, changed the story and generally tried to figure out what the heck we were doing. Garvin also said that there wasn't this bigger picture view the team had of Siphon Filter. In fact, at one point, the term Siphon Filter 
apparently meant nothing. Garvin said, quote, We were making it up as we went along. We knew we wanted a third-person action game, and we knew we wanted to deliver on the fantasy of being a super spy. Uh, for us, that meant even if something was janky, uh, we'd do it if it could help sell the fantasy. For example, our rendered movies were pretty low budget. We didn't even have articulated fingers. All our characters had box hands. But that didn't stop us from having rendered movies because we had a story we wanted to tell. And our motto was that bad movies are better than no movies. It's an interesting motto. When asked what aspect of Siphon Filter he was most proud of, Garvin said, quote, I'm personally most proud of the story elements. In those days, you didn't see video games dealing with a lot of current topics. Bioweapons, terrorism, secret government, agencies working outside the law. Remember, this was all pre-9-11, and we were doing some things with characters that you didn't often see in video games. Lian Zing, a Chinese female, and so on. We were making a real effort to make the characters as diverse and unstereotypical as possible. We were also attempting to inject a higher level of realism into the game that we'd never seen before. Now, later... This year on this podcast, a little little, uh, little tip for all listeners, we are going to be talking about Days Gone. And that same man, John Garvin, said some things that are quite different to that quote. But we will get to that in a few months' time. But as of right now, I think that is the story of Eidetic, or Ben Studio, up until the launch of Siphon Filter. But I know... The world of Siphon Filter and Days Gone do kind of come together. And we will go into it more later on, but I know, Josh, you kind of had a little bit on that. I'll give you a little bit of tidbitage. So there's like a couple of really good Easter eggs in uh, in Days Gone. One of them is that you have to kill 989 freakers in, in reference to 989 Studios. There's like a trophy for that. And also the Nero dudes are dressed in like yellow hazmat suits, just like the CBDC fellas in Siphon Filter. And they're just kind of Easter eggs. They're just like little nods. But it it develops that later in the game you find out that the reason there's all the zombie fellas knocking about in days gone is the result of a virus and it's a virus that specifically targets people and makes them that certain way and it's kind of revealed as part of the story like oh it was the result of terrorism and so you're kind of thinking like oh that's that's kind of cool it's a bit like that and then they just fully just confirm it you just find a report from it's called the IPCA. I think in Siphon Filter 1, they do just call it The Agency, but they, they've got an acronym later on. Anyway, you find an actual report in Days Gone that names uh, <laughs> Gabe Logan and uh, Lian Zing and uh, Lai Pan, Li Pan as well, Teresa Lai Pan. So they just basically confirmed that Days Gone is what happened when Gabe's team finally failed. <laughs> like it is a it is a strain of the siphon filter that made Days Gone, which is kind of cool. Like especially with the thing that we were just saying a minute ago with um, uh, the, the 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 guy who was saying that oh Sony originally wanted siphon filter to be set like way in the future in a kind of post apocalypse world when uh, nature had risen up and destroyed humanity because it's like eventually that sort of was days gone in a funny old way so look forward to that dear listener in a few months time the publisher then of this one and as well they did work on the development side was 989 studios and they're no longer around today sort of 
Because I mean it basically is because it's fucking Sony. Yeah, yeah. Like the, the name isn't around because the parent company decided to merge it with another part of their business, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So yeah, publisher of the game, 989 Studios, and their history specifically, 989 Studios, isn't documented terribly well on the internet, but I'll give you a little bit at least. So in 1995, 989 Studios began life as Sony Interactive Studios America, a Sony first-party developer making games for the original PlayStation, and some would eventually end up on PC as well. Now, while this isn't the case for the game we're talking about Today, um, 989 Studios' origins, and much of its life, in fairness, centred on sport. In an effort to differentiate the different types of games that they developed and published, I presume, that's why they were they did this, they actually split the branding on their games around 98-99, with some games getting the 989 Studios branding, while the other games were made by 989 Sports. It's basically like electronic arts but anyway rewinding a little yes sport was their bread and butter at the beginning a lot of these names would likely warm the cockles of some of our North American listeners maybe not so much us but games like the MLB series NHL face off NBA shootout NCAA game breaker but obviously there were some non-sports games in there too with the standouts being things like the first four Twisted Metals, which they developed themselves. They also made the Combat Flight Sim, Warhawk, and they published the rhythm game, Bust a Move. Cool Borders 3 and 4 are two others I should mention as well. They published both of them. And of course, they published the game we're talking about today, as well as its first sequel, Siphon Filter. And that's a very quick rundown of 989 Studios up until the launch of Siphon Filter. So sales then of this one. It's a video game, so of course I don't have cold hard numbers, silly. But according to Garvin in that PlayStation blog interview I was referencing earlier, he said, quote, I think we sold over a million units in that first year. I did find articles that contained uh, quotes from people stating that the sales figure apparently exceeded expectations, but I don't have any other numbers apart from that. But, you know, they made a sequel. They made lots of sequels, so we can all assume everyone was pretty happy with the sales (laughs) for Siphon Filter. Uh, Critical reception then of this one, only one platform, obviously, on PlayStation. Siphon Filter has a Metacritic score of... 90. It's a big one. Um, And that is your siphon filter back of the box. So we are going to take a very quick break and then discuss some of the marketing and press coverage of siphon filter. And what we're going to do is we're going to start by talking about a trailer I have found on the internet simply titled Siphon Filter Trailer. But you, dear listener, you are going to get to listen to it before we talk about it, but not the entire thing, because there isn't a lot to hear. It's just some music and just some gunshots. So (laughs) you can listen to a small bit of it and then we'll talk about it. So we'll be back right after this. Alright then, yes, let us first discuss some pre-launch marketing of Siphon Filter and that trailer that the listener heard a short snippet of because why would you play the entire 65 seconds of Gabe Logan shooting his gun and that pulsating soundtrack. First of all, I don't know where this trailer was. I don't know where, like, I, I feel it's the type of trailer that would have been on the official PlayStation yeah. magazine discs and, discs and stuff like that, but... Uh, not the most exciting of trailers. And also it's 
it's not even showing you release footage because if you'll notice the cursor no I didn't notice the the cursor well, well you, you said that in a second but what I was going to say was that your your three bars which we'll talk about as we go on but the three bars that Gabe Logan has in the game which are like his armor and his health uh, a target about we'll explain all these target and then there's one that says danger they're in the top left when you're in the released game but here they're just kind of like horizontal across the top it's not a massive thing but you know it just shows you that this isn't final final footage but why what did you notice Adam? yeah there's it's once again very small not not massive but there's a moment where you see the cursor and i find like we'll get to all this in a while but like the cursor in the final game is like vibrant green and in that trailer, it's like kind of muddy brown and it's like a different kind of shape. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're sh- the aiming reticle. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. Um, yeah, I think that trailer is is, a, is dog shit. <laughs> it's a terrible trailer. Um, let's be honest. It, it gives nothing away, as you said, Colm, like, like really nothing away. That trailer is a minute long. We have another one in the dock that's this much short one that's 36 seconds or something long and has far more to offer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose for, for the listener, this this trailer is just, it's just gameplay. There's nothing kind of, there's no context for what's happening. You just see a Caucasian brunette in this solid snake looking suit running around and shooting lads. And that's kind of, that's kind of it. But it's so funny, like, because you only see like one bit of like the night vision kind of like scope at the very start. And then after that, you get nothing else. But yes, there is a, a, a different trailer, like a 30 second trailer. I don't know where this is from. And I've only seen this on the internet as siphon filter early trailer. So this implies it is, you know, beforehand. And, and, and it's, it uses a lot of the same footage, but you at least get some kind of text popping up on screen telling you what's happening. Like a razor sharp spy action thrill ride. <laughs> An arsenal of sophisticated weapons. Real world, real time, open 3D environment. <laughs> I mean, if that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. There was a much cooler thing uh, for Siphon Filter, and it was the TV ad, which was, again, I've just seen it on the internet as uh, Siphon Filter, it stays with you, TV advert. And it's just a quick 30 second trailer uh, or yeah advert that would have ran on tv and it is cool as shit it is exactly <laughs> that early era kind of i suppose late playstation into ps2 weird kind of well this one isn't as weird as some of those kind of apex twinny looking characters that they they had on they screen. went fucking nuts for ps2 didn't they that it went did. really nuts yeah but like this one shows a, a man in black and white very kind of artsy kind of <laughs> shot and like you know he's in a train station and he's looking across the platform and his real world the train gets turned into siphon filter it tries to make the connection between real world and the world of Gabe Logan and the fact that yes siphon filter it stays with you it's I think a terrific TV advert. I think it's absolutely hilarious. Like, <laughs> for me, it just looks like it's like real life Gabe Logan reflecting on the good old days. <laughs> oh, you th- oh, you think the cat, the main, the guy in the ad is Gabe Logan? That's who I think that is. Well, hang on. What, the fellow with the briefcase is Gabe Logan? I'm just, that's what I'm putting into my, my, <laughs> my view of it all, which makes it really funny in my mind because, Excellent. like, he has that moment where he's like, 
looks at the train, he sees a woman waiting for the train. It's like he goes, Ah, I remember waiting oh, for that train. Trains. Brilliant. That brings me back. And, yeah. then, and then it goes to the end where, like, the best shot is at the end where he sees, like, I don't know, it seems like some homeless man or something like that. And he makes it, like, crosshair with his, with, with his fist. And it just, like, it turns into the sleeper moment. And you're like, Yeah, Tum. he's like, Oh, I remember shooting people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, Oh, great days. Great. Yeah, he's like, Thank God we got a sequel. That was brilliant. Would that sell, sell Siphon Filter to you, Josh? Well, either, though, with the. the the trailer or the advert, which does a better job? I actually, I, yeah, I, I mean, I, to be honest, the second one, 100%. I thought the first trailer was all right. It was a bit, uh, yeah, like, I agree. It, 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 it wasn't terrific, but it had a lot of, ga- I mean, you know, you hardly get any bloody gameplay in trailers these days. It's nice that they just sort of stood by the bonkers action that is in the game. Um, I think that would have jazzed me up when I was a kid. Uh, but definitely the second one would have just taken it to the next level. Yeah. I, th- those ads had a big effect on me when I was a kid. That you know, with the with the woman with the funny face and stuff. It was free. It was yep. freaky stuff back then. You know, like you had never seen video game adverts like that. <laughs> no, <laughs> they did some nutty shit, and some of the time it was really, really cool and made you feel a bit counterculture for getting to play. It made you feel a bit like. Oh, I'm gonna get a PlayStation because I'm a bad boy. Screw all that Nintendo stuff. You know, I want David Lynch to direct my advert for the console. <laughs> I mean, you say you say David Lynch, but lest we forget the Born Identities, Doug Lyman yes. doing those Sly, Sly Cooper yeah. adverts. You know, God, yeah. So that is some pre-launch marketing. Not a ton out there that I could find. Uh, so now let us discuss some pre-launch press coverage. Or I would be saying that if I could find anything of note. Because I did find some things. But like our Chicken Run episode, a lot of it is Siphon Filter is a game and it's coming to the PlayStation this spring or whatever. Like it's nothing. I can't find any interviews with the team at the time. Everything I found was retrospective, which is why we had it in the developer section. But in terms of them trying to drum up interest in the game... Couldn't really find it. Did they need to do anything when they did such a cool ad? Did it all. So that is your pre-launch marketing and press coverage of Siphon Filter. So we are going to take a quick break. You, dear listener, are going to listen to a little musical interlude. And then we are going to talk about our thoughts on the game after that. So we'll be back right after this. All right, then let us review siphon filter we played it for the last fortnight it would be a shame not to tell each other and the people at home what we thought of the game but you know what for a change for something different (laughs) i want to know your knowledge of the game before you played it for this podcast josh wise why don't you start us off what 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 was your history of siphon filter before you played it over the last two weeks I played it very briefly because uh, my cousin Jonathan and his and his infamous uh, chip, <laughs> this the chipped chips. PlayStation. <laughs> yes, yeah, played blood, bloody everything around there. And well, I, I think I actually watched him play it, and it was my little hands couldn't do the buttons. I I I, I didn't. I, what I was seeing was that green night vision sniper scope, and it and it blew my mind. I thought it was amazing. Years later, uh, I would. I get it on the PS. Do you remember when the PSP let you download like PS1 games on there? 
and then I think it moved over to the Vita as well, and you could do that. I play, I play, I I, I paid like three pound fifty for Cypherville One. Like I don't know when I would have done that, like two thousand and nine or something. And like really, really light. It was like the first time I'd properly played it. And then me being quite nutty, uh, ended up playing it again because they brought it to the PS5 because of the PlayStation Plus premium thing where you can play the old games. So I've played it. I've frankly played Siphon Filter way too much, to be honest. Very good. Very good. So I think I rented it. I don't know for definite, but one thing I do know is I definitely played the demo of Siphon Filter that was on the official PlayStation magazine number 47 disc. The reason I know that is because I have it right here in front of me in my hands. Oh my God. You have seven playable demos, um, (laughs) but Siphon Filter, Siphon Filter does get top billing. Siphon Filter, ready, aim, fire. Play a full mission from this super sharp shooter. Well, can you remember what mission it was, by the way? It was the very first level. And, well, you you also played it, Adam. Yeah, same demo as you, Colm. Um, remember that demo very well, I think. If I'm right, and maybe you can confirm this to me because it's in front of you, was Ape Escape on that demo? It was. <laughs> Good memory. <laughs> okay. And by any chance, on the same, was there something with Driver? Yes. Ah, uh, yeah. So if I'm right, if I can oh remember God, correctly. Oh my God, are you going to give me the, there are two other playable demos. Uh, let me think now. Let me think because if the demos, because I can remember this magazine very well. For some reason, this issue and this demo. Was there a lot going on about V-Rally? So there's a video of V-Rally 2 oh my God. on this demo. Oh my God. Well, the, so the other playable games were Monaco Grand Prix and Bloody Roar 2. Oh my God, Bloody Roar. Uh, and yeah, there were videos of V-Rally 2 and actual Ice Hockey 2. <laughs> Ooh, wow. <laughs> oh, oh classic. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely classic. So yes, that was our knowledge of Siphon Filter before we played it over the last two weeks and I believe all of us played it via the PlayStation Store and the version that's kind of readily available to to everyone now. Yes. Now, some of you at home may not have played Siphon Filter. I gave you a a, a kind of a pithy sentence or two but let me give you a more in-depth outline of the game. So Siphon Filter is a third-person self-action game made up of 20 individual missions or self-contained levels. Uh, Each mission varies in size, with some being more like corridor shooters, while others are more open areas that sometimes encourage, sometimes require stealth, sometimes they still just shooty-shooty-bang-bang. But it is very much stealth boom-boom, I guess. Uh, You often have multiple objectives in each mission as well, which we will 100% discuss further later and that's pretty much siphon filter so look let's review this game then and what we do on the podcast for any new listeners we split the game up into individual parts so we first talk about the game stealth then we talk about its boom boom which is more explosive shooty bits but just we stick other gameplay bits in there as well we also talk about the most noteworthy mission or level that stood out to each of us. And then we talk about the story and the voice acting and the plot and all that. And then we have a little miscellaneous section where we just stick things in that kind of didn't fit in elsewhere or we've neglected to mention elsewhere. So let us first dig into the stealth 
of Siphon Filter. And I was going to start off by saying that Siphon Filter isn't the first game to do this, what I'm about to say. And it won't be the last either. But I don't really know what the rules of stealth are in this game. Like, I know, I, I know one rule is that if I'm standing right in front of a guy, he's going to see me and he's going to gun me down. But I often like a bit more detail than that. For example, I don't know what a safe distance is from the enemy. You know, we, we, we've spoken about similar in other games, but often, well, maybe sometimes, I'm going to say often, those games will have, you know, other aspects that aid you, like the ability to go invisible or just even to use cover. Like, you know, you can do neither of those in Siphon Filter. It's a real vibes-based system. Mm. Like, the enemies definitely do have vision cones, because you are safe at certain distances. But trying to judge that in different areas, some more open, some more closed in, some where the enemies have like an elevated point of view, it's, it's very difficult. Mm. I, I said, you know, you, you can't go invisible or use cover or what have you. But there is a crouch button. Again, I, w- I was walking around all sneaky-like on some of the stealthier sections, but I honestly don't know if it was having that much of an impact. Like, I presume it was, because if it wasn't, then what's the point of it being in the game? But there's a part <laughs> of me that doubts it a little bit. Does crouching actually cushion the noise of my footsteps? I found it difficult to tell how much of a difference it made. Mm. Now, one thing I found on the main menu of Siphon Filter. Importantly, unless I missed something, but I don't think I did, not on the version I played via the PlayStation Store, but on the main menu of the PlayStation 1 version, there is a training video where you are told about crouching and its sneaky benefits. Now, you are told other things. It acts as, I suppose, a tutorial, you know, press this button to do that, press this button to do that, da-da-da-da. But I did want to play a clip of Leanne telling us about crouching and, you know, how it'll aid you in your game. So just take a listen to this. When you need cover from enemy fire or better aim to hit a target, kneel by holding X. You can also use X with the D-pad to crouch and walk. This maneuver will keep you silent and out of sight, perfect for stealth missions, and you can also use it to climb down over ledges. Thank you, Leanne. The problem is that there is no visual or aural feedback to tell you what kind of effect the crouching is having, really. Like, there's nothing on screen to tell you how loud you are being. And similarly, you don't have the thief light gem or the splinter cell visibility meter that tells you how hidden you are. And I say that because you are, and it is cool when you figure this out, you are able to shoot out lights. But there's ambiguity to the darkness. Like, how dark does the area have to be be for me to be hidden or is shooting out lights is it just a cool thing like is it purely cosmetic I don't think so mm. but I again it's another thing where I'm going I, I don't know like it, it all centres on what I said a minute ago this game is just not forthcoming about aspects that I believe it should be. Mm. I just want to know, am I hidden? Can the enemy <laughs> see me? And there's just, there's nothing on screen no. that tells me that. No, it's true. It feels a little bit like, um, 
You know, in like Toy Story, when like Buzz Lightyear keeps checking the little gauges and shit, but they're just painted onto his little arm thing. Excellent comparison. I, I sort of feel like with Siphon Filter, it's like, but the thing is, is that you just want me to execute everyone anyway. Like there is no getting by these people anyway, and I'll be killing them anyway. So you can do all this like stuff, like the, the HUD elements are like, totally like nonsensical and i never got to the bottom of the crouch 100 percent. but it's like ultimately i kind of have to just kill all these guys anyway so if it it feels like you've put these things in because you like the look of the fellow when he crouches down you're like yeah looks like stealth like like we saw some screenshots of metal gear and we kind of want our guy to do that but it's like yeah you haven't really built an actual stealth game behind that though you've kind of you've given me the end product the look of it but the actual mechanics is just an action game i mean for, for the most part there are like stealthy bit elements to it i but. i like i actually completely agree with you josh because for me there's not enough stealth going on in this game and i think it's all the stuff that's offering with the crouching and staying on the site like the levels aren't necessarily designed for Gabe to hide in. There's one or two that you we can talk about, I suppose, like the, the, the maze one, I think we're going to the bombs and things like that. But like deep down, like it's you're out in the open a lot of the time. The, the other game, the only other game I can think of that I had this feeling with was kind of PSYOPs of recent where like I thought PSYOPs is offering you all these things, but really what, you, what it wants you to do is to go out and do do the action. Just do the action. That's what we want you to do. And the rest is kind of like, it's a bit kind of here and there. And you can try if you want, but it's really not a whole pile of fun. I, I am right in saying there is no like snap cover or anything in Siphon Filter. No. That, like that alone is very peculiar for the type of game that it is, you know? You're crouching, like that's it. Like the game doesn't give you other ways to hide yourself. But I do think there are... There's one mission that Josh is going to talk about. There is the mission you mentioned, Adam, where you're in this, the fourth mission where you're in this open park and it allows you to use your night vision sniper and pop guys in the head. There's the later one in the tunnels where you're in in the darkness. Mm. There's the one where you're planting bombs, the snowy level off the top of my head. It's like uh, mission eight where you're planting bombs under these fuel tanks. And, you know, like if you're seen, all hell breaks loose. There's there's searchlights that like if you're spotted an alarm will go off and guys will jump on you. But but it's 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 not as prevalent, like no way, like because the game doesn't give you enough information. Mm, And like I, I did want to tie that to another thing. I wanted to talk about and I've made comparisons to Thief and Metal or um, uh, Splinter Cell so I do now want to bring up Metal Gear Solid for the laugh (laughs) we're going to talk about the Soliton Radar given the camera placement and the lack of something like the other two games meters the visibility meter the the light gem in Metal Gear Solid the radar shows you safe areas by displaying where enemies can see and importantly where they can't the radar and siphon filter is not that. Now, it's not useless. It's similar to that first Far Cry, mm-hmm. really. Go back in the archives, listen to our Far Cry episode. Siphon filter will show you little green dots, which are unaware enemies, 
uh, the dots will be orange if they're kind of suspicious and they'll be red if they're about to mess you up. In theory, that sounds perfectly fine and it's even done better in, fa- in Far Cry and I spoke about some of my issues there. But the issue is that it happens so quickly. An enemy goes from green to red lightning fast so you don't have enough time to react. Like often there is no difference between a about to be spotted and B you have been spotted. And a lot of that is because the player doesn't have enough information on their enemies because firstly, the radar is so close to your proximity that you don't get a great lay of the land. And thus you only see enemies that are very near to you. Another issue is that you know where they are, but you don't know where they're facing. And actually, on that last point, you don't know exactly where they are because you don't know if they're below you or above you. And in fairness, yeah, I, I think you did at least have that information in Far Cry. Yeah. One huge sin of, of Siphon Filter's radar, and this is obviously a choice, is that the radar doesn't display the location of every enemy. Yeah. And this royally fucked me off. So the rules of the radar change depending on what reaction the game wants from you. So sometimes a guard's appearance will be triggered by you specifically. And to be clear, I'm not just talking about those situations where, you know, you've pushed a button on a console and then a load of them will run in for a shootout. Like, that's different. I'm talking about those areas where, light as they may be, where you can employ stealth, where you're moving around an area and then an enemy will just pop his head around a corner because you have walked into a certain radius where that enemy will walk out. And previously, he was not there. There was no green dot on the map telling you to be mindful of a guy who was laying in wait. I I mean, sometimes the game even triggers enemies to just fucking appear out of thin air right behind you. Like, come on. (laughs) The radar isn't entirely cosmetic, but it just definitely doesn't adhere to the game's own rules a lot of the time. Oh, it, it annoyed me to no end. Yeah, I know. Like, this is, this is not, like, my verdict of how I feel of the game as a whole, but, like, this, what we're saying, for me, there was a point where I went, this game just wants me to just run and shoot. Mm. We, there, there's a bit of, of bite in, in what we're saying here. So do you know what? Josh Wise kind of lightened the mood a little bit and talked to us about the movement. Because I know you were a fan of that. I was. I was. Because uh, I will say, for like stealth, and also for, for action as well, kind of, like I could kind of have written this in the dock in like different places, but like, I really like the movement of this game. I like the way Gabe moves. And there's two things that stood out to me. Number one, I really like the fact that they put the strafe on the shoulder buttons, which... It's kind of funny because like back in the day, at this point in time, I think they will have just released the dual shock. So you will have had two analog sticks. I think it came out in 1999. I think Ape Escape was the first game to... Anyway, you would have had two analog sticks, but it's kind of the game is designed around the, the fact that you don't like it was built for a thing that kind of didn't and I guess would have made sort of fiddly camera control while also moving quite fluidly and really fast through 3D environments 
a little bit tough, I think. Uh, and I just thought the way that they handled the strafing. So if you hold R2, Gabe just runs to the right. And if you hold L2, he runs to the left. Um, just really, really nice. Like you can, you can always orient yourself and move quite quickly. It's, it's per- perfect for um, poking around uh, like from, from, from cover and stuff. But when you're just going in a building and there's quite tight spaces, it's almost like you could plug that thing into like an old Resident Evil game. And it's what you want. It's what, the people that complained about tank controls. I feel like this would be a good solution. Like forwards is always, you know, make Gabe run at a fucking full pelt. But like squeeze R2 and L2. And, and, and he looks hilarious as well because the, the bottom of his body, his little legs go nuts right or left but the top his top half doesn't really swivel so he looks like a kind of little mannequin man going left and right but it feels good to do i can't really explain it like it feels satisfying and when you're negotiating little tight uh corridors making him sort of run to the right and then go forwards and then run to the left and you can get quite uh graceful with it you can get quite sharp and fast with it um the other thing i really like is uh, the somersault, which I absolutely love. I love it when a game makes a meal of a somersault, like um, or uh, like in Splinter Cell when they have the SWAT turn, where uh, Sam like leaps out from one pillar to another, and they say that when he when he does that, he's practically invisible. That always made me laugh when I was a kid. <laughs> um, but in this, you press circle, and uh, Gabe he does a somersault now. Uh, the wind up to the somersault's fucking incredible. Uh, I, I, he takes ages to do it so much so that like he's concentrating on his form, like he's at a gymnastics thing and he's expecting like 10 out of 10s. And like when he's in the heat of battle, I'm just thinking to myself, I don't know how that somersault helps you. Like <laughs> they're going to shoot you and kill you anyway. So it, it like, it seems like it's pointless, but also if you've just done a somersault and then you aim a gun at someone, you're going to kind of be dizzy because you've just done a somersault. So I never really understand why it's like a good thing for anyone to do in any combat scenario, but they do it in like many Hollywood movies and stuff. And I guess it just looks cool. At one point I did the somersault because if you give me a button that does that, I'm going to do it loads. I can't help myself. And, um, I did it under like a window led. There was someone who was looking out of a window (laughs) and, uh, I did somersault under the window. Uh, I had to time it. Uh, like it was quite tough actually, but I managed it and the guy didn't see me. And I, and it was another example of like, guess what you were saying, Cullum, of like, I don't know if this like stealth system is here. I don't know if, if it was just a lucky somersault, but I went under the window and Gabe, Gabe looked pretty cool while he was doing it. And, uh, you know, for that <laughs> 10 seconds, I thought, yeah, that's some all right stealth that. So. If I'm honest, right, when we, when we added Siphon Filter to the list, the first thing that always comes to my mind is the movement. Huh. I think the movement of Gabe is so unusual and especially at the time when I played that demo, right? Because if you think about it, kind of not long after coming off the back of experiencing Metal Gear Solid, I suppose, for the first time. And the, the snappiness, I suppose, of Snake and other sorts of games that were playing around that time, there was nothing around that had the same weight that Siphon Filter was doing. Now, when you play it today... 
he looks like he's running in slow motion. It's like he's, <laughs> it's like he's like that, that scene in an action film of a guy running from a bomb that's about to go off. Spot on. He just, it's this weird kind of, like he's really going for the run. He's taking care of all his limbs. He's making sure everything's, every step counts. But there was something about it back then that I was always like, whoa, this is really kind of like... Cinematic. <laughs> yeah, because like a lot of games, I suppose, like it's a lot of fa- It's like really fast and loose and stuff, do you know? So I feel it just was the first game I can remember where I was like, fuck, there's a ton of weight to this. Like a lot of people talk about that kind of thing now today in games, such as like, do you know how it feels to swing in Spider-Man? And Physical weight of the character, yeah. The weight of the character and how they feel and stuff like that. Red Dead Redemption 2, very slow, but it, it, it adds to all that. Simon Filler does that same thing for me. And I think as well, the kind of like auto-aiming and stuff, like and he's snapping up and like he does it in such a kind of like, uh, like this is where he looks the most kind of like, I suppose, 007 kind of thing. Because he just kind of like <laughs> points it upwards at such a like kind of half-ass angle and just goes pew, pew, pew. And it, it, at the time... I just thought that was really cool and satisfying. The whole thing was just flowing for me. Now, I will say for 20 levels, <laughs> because I don't, I don't think like I can remember ever finishing Siphon Filter back in the day. Finished it this time, but I cannot remember finishing it back in the day at all. It does get a bit much. Overall, I think you're both mad. You're tank control perverts, <laughs> and I don't back this decision at all. <laughs> I forced myself to get used to it because otherwise, I was like, "Well, I guess I'm not going to get past the first level <laughs> because tank controls." I'm glad have been left in the past, but <laughs> but you know, I'm glad you enjoyed yourself. So also, <laughs> just a, just a quick note: Gabe will just run through glass. Yeah, and that is top notch. Like there are there are glass doors in this game, and there actually is no way to open the door normally, like a normal man. So you just run, and it just breaks open on his head, and that's terrific stuff. That's that should that I love that. <laughs> it doesn't make sense, but it's good stuff. One thing I wanted to talk about, and I guess we can kind of sort of finish this stealth section talking about headshots because it kind of bridges the gap I guess between maybe it's stealth and it's boom boom uh, because basically you you are looking for headshots at all times so th- there's good and bad right and we're going to go bad first this game's first person aiming is atrocious yeah it is so awkward and not in a I'm holding the PSG one and I have no diazepam on me kind of way. No. Moving the reticle around the screen is laggy. It's floaty. It's just not great. I liked pulling out something like my my sniper rifle or the night vision sniper rifle in darker areas and, you know, popping guys from afar. And there's a great zoom. There's great zoom on it as well. But that was similar kind of to me talking about the movement that was only after I taught myself to work within the limitations yeah it's not good I do not like this (laughs) I'm going to second that as well it's similar to let's say um, another recent episode I suppose that we just did Second Sight another weird kind of design like like the way Second Sight gives you the scope at the right side of the screen this goes into just full on here's a little cursor and it makes it feel like a kind of a shit arcade game. It's not it's not a really it's not a good thing at all. Like I, I wasn't into it at all. 
Now, I will say that I do love the importance that the game places on headshots. Mm. I know they're important in most games past a certain point, but Siphon Filter adds a little extra on top of it. And genuinely, I, I, I love this. Like, so, first of all, when you headshot a guy with a silenced weapon, he dies. And thank you, Ben Studio, for that. <laughs> when you headshot anyone in this game, they die. Mm. I think all of the bosses and mini bosses are included in this. At least the ones that aren't wearing some sort of like helmet or, or whatever. But when you headshot anyone, they drop dead. And that's not even the best thing because, oh, this, this is fantastic. So in Siphon Filter, our protagonist, Gabe Logan, can wear a flak jacket, a, a bulletproof vest. So... It gives the player an extra level of protection before they take enough damage. They lose the jacket and then they die for more fire. You'll find these scattered about levels, all very standard stuff. But here's the cracking thing about this. Enemies can also wear flak jackets. And if you decide to just unload bullets into them, you will eventually kill them. But if you headshot them, as already said, they'll go down straight away. Cool, but... If you headshot a flak jacket wearing enemy, they will drop their flak jacket, which then will allow you to pick it up and replenish your armor, your your health bar. Oh, it is good. It's brilliant. Yeah. As as well as making headshots important if you do want to try and play a bit stealthier, otherwise you'll you'll I guess you'll draw the the fire of enemies if you just body shot them. The game rewards you by making you stronger if you decide to go for the more difficult shot. Like, I cannot stress this enough. I think this is brilliant. And it is. Yeah. Attention to detail. And I, I want to just kind of briefly uh, not defend, because the first person shooting is uh, naff, but I do like, um, I agree with what you're saying, I like the importance placed on it, and I like the flat jacket thing. But I like the corner peeping and we should talk about the corner peeping because it's like one of the kind of one of the few stealth mechanics. So if you look in first person while you're, you know, behind a corner, you can then hold R2 or L2 and lean left and right. And it's a really good way of not being seen but getting headshots on enemies. You can kind of line it up while you're in cover and then quickly pop out and, and, and ping them in the head. And it's kind of like the only mechanic in the game, really, that's like, uh, that has been specifically and like actively geared towards being stealthy. And I found it was kind of the only way I could really get the headshots because in, in like normal open combat, it's kind of too uh, chaotic. Like I could, if you stop and fuck around with the first person thing while while shit's hitting the fan, you're gonna get killed. So, I just kind of always would try to sort of do it from cover. Um, so yeah, I I kind of like that. It's the clo- closest to feeling stealthy. I think. And I know I said that would be the last thing. One quick thing to mention on the topic of stealth: the gas grenades. Mm. As soon as a knockout gas grenade makes contact with an enemy or a group of enemies. They drop like sacks of shit. It is marvellous. <laughs> and it's maybe the most powerful stealthy weapon, maybe the most powerful weapon in the entire game. 
big fan of the gas grenade to the point where that's how you kill the last boss. You have gas to have a gas yeah, grenade. Yeah. It's, <laughs> oh, it's great. So that is what we thought of the stealth of Siphon Filter. So we are going to take a quick break. Then we'll be back to talk more about our thoughts on Gabe Logan's first voyage. We'll be back right after this. All right, then, let us chat about the boom boom of Siphon Filter, which is where we discuss the more explosive elements, the shooting and all that, and just other things as well uh, about the game. And the first thing I wanted to talk about, well, I, I suppose first, I, I, I've spoken loads already about how Siphon Filter embraces ambiguity rather than clarity in a lot of cases and how I didn't enjoy that during my time with the game. But the thing I want to talk about now is something that the game does make clear, and it is when you're about to be hit. And I guess if you're not going to give me some form of indicator that tells me if I'm hidden, I suppose something that tells me if I'm going to be hit by a bullet is the next best thing. Don't think it's a substitute, but you know, hey-ho, we take what we're given. So in the top left of the screen, I mentioned this earlier, but you see three different bars. One is, is armor slash health, self-explanatory. One is target and one is danger. The target bar, that fills up when you use the game's very important, for lack of a better term, Z targeting style lock-on feature. Tells you when that fills up to the top, you're properly locked on. When you take a hit, it's going to connect. The third one is danger. And that is Maybe the most interesting of the lot. I thought so anyway. And one I don't think we've come across before on this podcast. I don't believe. So the danger bar will start to fill up once the enemy has spotted you. So there's no warning in that regard. Uh, enemies will often begin to just open fire as soon as they've spotted you while the danger bar is filling. But importantly, you're not going to be hit until that danger bar actually is filled to the top and it starts flashing. And again, I really like this. Firefights and Siphon Filter can be manic and you won't always have a ton of time to carefully read the danger bar. So I do want to point that out. It's not flawless. I maintain that something which told me how seen I was would have helped me more. But in lieu of that, I, I'll take this thing that tells me if I'm in danger of, of being shot. Yeah, it's good stuff. But, you know, you can also do the killing. That helps, obviously. And as we said, the game does want you to do quite a lot of killing. Josh, you had one gun in particular that you warmed to. Yeah, it's the shotgun. What a cracker. What a cracker. I love it because it doesn't really, it doesn't really feel like the kind of gun that like a top secret agent guy would would sort of just be running around the streets of Washington, D.C. with. Like, it feels a bit reckless, you know? A bit like, oh, you had to get up close and personal and sort of blow them away. But um, really, really satisfying. Good sound on it, good noise on it. Like, crazy blood spray when you hit people uh, sort of made me laugh. And uh, they, got, they more or less go down in, like, one to two hits. And it's not one of those... You know what really annoys me in, uh, in games is when... <laughs> They make it so that the shotgun in a game is effective about like three feet ahead of you. Yeah, yeah. And it's like the thing is, in real life, if if you get shot by by like a Spas twelve or something, you 
you're going to die up to like 20 paces. Like it's, it's it like, or more like it, <laughs> they sort of act like if, if the guy's like, you know, 10 feet in front of you, it's just like a, it's not doing anything. Like the bullets just melt and they don't even hear in this. It's like, it's actually effective to a decent range. I'm a big fan of, of crunchy, satisfying shooting people with a bit of gore. Um, the shotgun very much did that for me. A lot of the guns are very satisfying. One, it's not really a gun, I suppose, but just one weapon is satisfying in particular because it allows you to set lads on fire. And for Christ's sake, <laughs> what is better than that, Adam Carroll? Yeah, like, look, to be honest, the taser, it's a bit random. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? You get it early. It's fun to use when the lads go on fire. It looks hilarious. It's a bit extreme. Uh, it's a bit awkward to use at times, but uh, it's more like it's more kind of one of those things that's there to kind of show off the kind of like the technical side of the game. I guess how impressive. Yeah, it kind I, th- of- I think that's fair because, like, even when you pull it out, unlike any other weapon, because I suppose it would be weird for the other ones. When you take out the taser and you begin tasing somebody and you just keep the button held, the camera view changes. Yeah. So it changes to this more, I guess, for lack of a better term, cinematic camera. Mm. And Gabe becomes the character (laughs) in the background and the enemy becomes the character in the foreground. And you just see the guy (laughs) shaking (laughs) and he starts to smoke and then he's set on fire by a taser. It's it's brilliant. Unbelievable stuff. There's really not much I'd say about it, but it just, it had to be mentioned, really. It It just feels like a little joke that like the developers did. And it sort of, it sort of feels like it maybe doesn't really belong in like the fiction of this game. Like, yeah, I mean, like yeah. the idea that they would, or even it didn't even really work that the guy would, that Gabe would even have a taser. Like it's like, well, in that situation, whatever. It, they, clearly some guy was like, look, I've got a well funny animation we can use and I've made it so that they start smoking and then they burst into flames. And some other guy was like, that's fucking rad. We're putting that in. But like, why? And he's like, I don't know, a taser? W- would that even work? Probably if you held the button down. Sure, let's do it. Like, I'm all there for that. It's silliness. And I love the fact that they sort of kept it in the future games. It's kind of classic. One thing I want to talk about, I, I did, I think I made reference to this earlier. So some of the levels in Siphon Filter are more like corridor shooters where your goal is to go from A to B. But some of them, a lot of them, are sprawling open-ish areas mm. where you must successfully carry out a number of different objectives in order to finish said level. So you might start in one place in the level and then your objective will be, I even said this off the top, you know, plant three or four bombs or whatever in a different, in three or four different locations, kill seven or eight specific enemies and then find the exit. And often the game won't tell you where any of these things are. Sometimes you'll know where the exit is, but sometimes you won't. So you begin these levels with this feeling, I did, of enormity to my task. (laughs) Because, like, you might have uh, the map of the area, which you will, but navigating the map is going to take time. Like, you know, you've no idea where anything is. And some of the bigger levels probably took me 20, 30 minutes, maybe, in some cases. But every time I finished one... I felt this sense of achievement. 
Like Siphon Filter is very good at that, making you feel the importance of what you are doing and what you did and making you really work for it. However, and I appreciate my brain is probably somewhat broken by modern games, blah, blah, blah. Siphon Filter, like other things I've said, isn't forthcoming about the location of some of these tasks. <laughs> and because of that, you can find yourself reaching the goal of a level without having completed all objectives. Maybe I'm on an island here, but I think, off memory, this happened to me on three different occasions. And it annoyed me greatly each and every mm. time. Because I felt like I was thorough. Obviously, I'd miss something, of course. Uh, I know that because I played the game. So I'd have to go back and I found whatever it was I needed to find and then I'd go back to the goal again. But there's definitely one time that comes to mind in a specific level where I had to go back to the very start. We haven't spoken about this much, but you don't have control over the camera. You do in first person, you aim or whatever, but as we said earlier, Siphon Filter uses tank controls and the camera then will always spin to the back of Gabe Logan. And because of that, you're not able to spin the camera around, you know, and importantly, you're not able to move it up and down. You don't have independent control of the camera. So I did find it sometimes easy to miss things. And like you said this, Josh, the PlayStation analog controller was out at this time. But, you know, I I accept we're talking the early days of third person games here. So I'm hesitant to like stick the boot in loads. Uh, yeah, 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 sure. But not, yeah, not I, having I full you. control yeah. over the camera did mean I missed things. And thus it forced me to go back through levels in order to find whatever I had missed. And it's, it's one of those where like I... Yeah, I know it's early in the third person lifespan and et cetera, et cetera. But I'd be lying if I said it didn't annoy me. Like when it worked and I, I, I as I said, I, I got that sense of achievement. I thought it was great. But then when it didn't, I was like, oh, come on. Yeah, it's punishing. I had the same thing. I think that in the first mission where you got to disarm the bombs or tag the bombs or whatever, I, I went up to a bomb and... Uh, press the button to um to to tag it and it said objectives incomplete and the funny thing was there was there was just another bomb that was somewhere else where i had already been and it wouldn't let me tag the later bomb until i tagged the earlier bomb which was a really specific and with that one wasn't even like oh you've missed the objective it's like well the objective is to disarm two bombs you didn't actually say there was an order to it but but they just they just had that in there. They're like, well, you got to do it in the order that you go through the level. And it's just not communicate everywhere. I will say that like the camera wasn't the reason I missed things. It was more just the level design or the funny draw distance where it just turns into like black night time after a certain distance or some of the alleyways were a little confusing. It wasn't that like I couldn't move. Yeah. I wouldn't say it was the camera for me. It was more just like, I missed them because the levels are fucking massive, right? And and intricately laid out. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? We're going to, because I know you have a bit to say on this, Adam, we're going to end the boom boom there, but still we're, we're, this boom boom train doesn't stop because I'm going to give you more of my thoughts on this, on kind of this thing in our most noteworthy mission leveler area section mm. where, yes, 
This is where we talk about not necessarily our favourites or our least favourites, whatever it is. It's just missions that stood out to us for whatever reason. And the mission I have gone for is mission 12, which is called Romer's Stronghold. And I've decided to go for this because it epitomises both the strengths and the weaknesses of Siphon Filter. And in particular, the second half of Siphon Filter. Your setup is that you have to infiltrate this cathedral. I said this in the story recap, where this cathedral is housing a secret lab that Big Baddie Romer is using to research this deadly virus called Siphon Filter. So you have to enter this maze-like building and yeah, you have to do a few different things. You have to find and kill 10 of Romer's scientists that are working for him. You have to administer an antigen to six of the poor test subjects that are being held within. And you have to find an entrance into the catacombs in order to find Fagan, who I said earlier, the CEO of the pharmaceutical company Farcom and the creator of the siphon filter virus. And this is the multi-objective style mission that I, I, I spoke about. You know, you start this level after being, I think, helicoptered onto the top of the roof <laughs> of the cathedral and you must break in through a window and you begin your search. But before I trespassed in this cathedral, I, I looked at that objective list and I was like, oh God, this sounds like a lot. And yes, it was in practice. But I, I, I really liked it. Like, you know, it, it reminded me of a Jerry Bruckheimer film. <laughs> like, you know, you secret labs inside of a fucking cathedral. Like, that's phenomenal. And even in this bit, there's a five, what must be a five second cutscene of Gabe Logan, Logan jumping through a huge stained glass window. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, I really like navigating this place. There's, there's some, you know, light stealth in certain areas. Light. And there's a lot of boom boom, including monks with like, what do they have? Like automatic <laughs> rifles or something. Like, and you know, I had fun popping scientists in the head while saving the poor souls who were being tested on. And as I already mentioned, when I get to the end of the level, it was a proper like, yes, moment. I was given a mammoth task and I did it. And then the game asked me to do it all over again. <laughs> no, it didn't ask me to replay the level as the both of you know. I'm telling the dear listener, because what I'm talking about here is that the next level, which does have a bit of a different layout. Yes, of course, I will say that. But it asks you to once again kill nine scientists and to vaccinate four test subjects and then find the entrance to the catacombs where Fagan is. Again! So that sense of achievement is gone. It's gone because in the moment I feel totally deflated. This insurmountable task that I mounted doesn't matter doesn't matter because we're going to ask you to do the same thing again and like siphon filter does that loads in the second half there's at least a five or six mission spell where it repeats a mission or it reuses a map which you get technical limitations you get what you can out of these things at this time but it reuses a map in dull ways and like siphon filter isn't an overly long game but it feels long because the pace of it slows so dramatically at the end. It is, oh, it's a real doubter. And I think you're, you're of a similar mindset to me, Adam. Yeah, pretty much. Um, the overall experience of the levels and stuff just kind of, 
between the size of them and the length of them and the repetitive nature of them, it just kind of, it just bogged down the whole experience for me, I felt. And it, this is funny then because it doesn't help then. And this is what I was saying earlier, when you have 20 missions or whatever, um, that like you're playing uh, Gabe and the way he's moving, like he, it doesn't help all of a sudden that this, these stretched out levels like and, and the way he's moving through them it's just like oh it just feels like such a slog to me i'm gonna jump in just say like the first mission georgia street for me um is probably one of the standout ones for me and it, it that's really because of the nostalgic factor of it being the first ever time i experienced the game so from that demo whatever but i also think it's a pretty it's a pretty good all-round introduction to a lot of what's on offer i think like uh, the like it's quite open. It, it, it there's there's quite a bit to it. It's lengthy enough. Like a lot of the levels are long. Like they're they're pretty long. But this one's pretty long. It it goes on for a bit. It, there's like enemies on the roof. There's a lot of explosions going on. You get the whole like uh the the glass breaking and stuff like that. You get to play around with all these kind of moments, and it it just it does stand out. Um, but then immediately, like after that, you're in. The, the subway the tube station whatever you want to call it the subway and um, that level is exactly what I'm talking about then mainly which is my problem of really long very boring back and forth it's just not all that exciting and then it throws in this like very hot like moments of platforming where there's times where you're like how was I supposed to know that I was supposed to grab that? Yep. How was I supposed to know I was supposed to grab that that pole above me? Like, there's no indication. Yeah, that, that pole is insane. It introduces things without introducing them. <laughs> so, like, there was a moment in this, this second level where I was honestly going back and forth and all around, And then I found out that it was like, oh, just like, I know this sounds very obvious. I didn't really think about getting on top of the train. And going along the whole train. But like later on, there's there's all these random other things. Like as I said, like there's random poles and things like that you have to climb up on. And like, I don't have any handed to me, but like it just, the game feels very quickly like slow and sluggish when you are in a moment of like, I don't know what I'm doing on shorty, I suppose, for like anything more than five minutes. I agree with you. I'm not looking for the yellow handholds of Uncharted. Yeah. But I know the bit you're talking about where you have to hop on. You're in this uh, subway station and I think it's when it's on fire and you are kind of walking across the platform going, where am I meant to go? And what you're meant to do is hop on top of the train carriage and walk along it and you'll come out the other side and you can continue on and progress through the level. It's the game introducing something that it it hasn't introduced before. So I don't know that I can get on top of the train. Yeah. Once you know that, it starts to make you then go, okay, well, I got to keep an eye out for this for, for future missions as going forward. And you definitely do because... There are quite a lot of moments that you are going to be in that situation. But then you see, continuing on with that particular mission, like once I found out, oh, this, okay, whatever, going exactly what you said then, Colm, you get through and you go, oh, that's great, I've done that. No, you're still in this area and you're still going to do an entire level now of this area. 
And I was like, oh, for the love of God, get me out of this place. Like, I said it already, but like, the levels are long. It's long and it feels long. I, I, I kind of have my notes as well that like some of the levels I would compare to like what Manhunt offers as well. Because I said the same thing with Manhunt. It's this big open area that kind of has nothing to do. It, it, it feels empty. And I know people can say like, oh, but come on, like PS1 games, you know, give it a break, whatever. But it's like, nah, still trying to do a lot of other things like for a PS1 game. That's quite impressive for its, for, for its time, I suppose. But like the levels are just not that exciting. Josh, you played one level that you did find exciting. I found, I found, I found a few levels bloody exciting. But this one, Mission 6, Expo Center Reception. Uh, for me, would be like the standout mission of the game. So the premise is that you're going after Markinson. Fagan. 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 That's right. Yeah, yeah. So he's got this expo centre and it's kind of like a museum with lots of different like exhibits and wings and stuff, which is pretty cool. They've got like a like a bit that's, a, that's like a Stonehenge exhibit and like a bit that's like got an Aztec vibe, sort of pyramids and a sort of space thing, like a thing about the moon. So it, the set dressing for the mission is really cool. It like gives the designers lots of chances to kind of uh, sort of spread their wings a little bit and break out of the sort of urban-y, industrial just a little bit more adventurous. And within the course of one level, you move through these different wings and exhibits <clears throat> and you get kind of a cool little range of flavours. Um, but more than that, though, it feels like a real departure from, from the game as a whole. The story takes a, a, a slight dip in the sense that it's ever so slightly more chilled out. It's like, you've got to go to this place and find out this thing. Um, but you can't go in and just cause a bloody ruckus and, you know, run through any glass doors and shoot people like willy nilly. It's like, uh, Gabe's like dressed up in a tux, which is lovely, lovely. Like I love a bit of that. Um, obviously just setting its sights on, on bond. And it's, you know, at that time was, uh, eating bonds lunch. Cause it would have been tomorrow never dies. And that was out at that time and it was rubbish. So this is actually quite good. Um, and you, it's actually like a stealth mission. Like you, you, you actually, it has a fail condition. If you, if you are spotted, uh, the guards raise the alarm and, uh, you will actually fail, which is it's completely unique in that regard. So you can play stealthily in lots of missions, but this one is the only one. It's like an actual stealth mission. Uh, even then, it's we're talking, you know, headshotting everyone. We're not talking, we're never talking avoidance and creeping through. We're always talking like, you know, how you kill people. So it's not. But I do like the way that it uses the kind of movement systems, which I've already, or we've already kind of talked about, like I quite like. Um, places a lot of importance on headshots. So you've got like the silenced nine millimeter, which again, very much like James Bond, you throw in the tux, I'm in my fucking element here. And uh, you, I actually, you want to hold X and kind of walk through these environments. But it's kind of cool. You, like, you kind of want to hold X because it looks right. And I think that's kind of what like Bend or Iodetic and 989 are kind of going for. They want to, they want you to have a vibe. I think in a lot of Siphon Filter, they want you to have a vibe. And 
I, I've, I, I gelled with that vibe in this mission and a couple times elsewhere. It's like, yeah, the role is the somersault's fucking useless, but hey, it looks cool. And every now and again, you want to pop one of those bad boys off because Gabe looks cool doing it. So you do, you know? And in this, it's like, well, the guy's wearing a tuxedo and I'm going to hold X to make him do a little crouch walk with a silence nine milli. And he looks like a bad boy and I'm loving that. Then it's got the peep thing that I talked about. So like you, you sort of get behind the corner, you see an enemy patrolling in like a uh, an Aztec temple exhibit and there's like the pillars that kind of go up, which kind of reminds me of the spy who loved me when he's going around the Egypt ruins and he sort of looks at Jaws and he keeps disappearing behind the pillars and just little things like that. And you kind of, you peep out of cover with, with L2 and R2, line up your headshot, make sure you line up the headshot. If you fuck it, and don't get the headshot, uh, you're fucked. Because you can't just shoot them normally because they'll call for their mates, the alarm will sound, and it's over. So you actually have to practice your timing on the headshots, like aim for where they're going to be. Because they do follow set patrol routes as well. It's quite traditional in that sense. And so it kind of brings in just a few of those elements. Everything that I quite liked about Siphon Filter and like a lot of the things that all three of us have kind of talked about, they come together in this mission in what I think is the best possible configuration of them coming together. It's like, yeah, Siphonville is not really a stealth game in the way that it moves and controls and loads of its mechanics, but this is like the mission where those mechanics most resemble decent stealth play and... It's a cool idea for a bit of level design as well. It, it it just sort of seemed to me that like a bunch of those things all cohered around this mission. Aside from the opening mission, I think this is the best mission. I think a lot of people would probably say this is the best mission because it just, it has the most going on, I suppose. Like you are kind of sneaking mm-hmm. with Fagan and stuff. You're kind of making sure he doesn't see you while taking enemies and blah, blah, blah. blah. And then, like, the actual level design itself, is, there's, a, there's a bit going on with, with it being in this, like, um, expo centre and stuff. So there's a bit of life here. Mm. But it's just a missed opportunity with the the lack of, like, gadgets, I suppose. I know, like, look, he isn't James Bond, but just every now and then, I would like him to be. <laughs> just yeah, give yeah. me a little bit more to play around with. Let me just, like even have a, dist- a something to distract them with or like can you even like can you even like go up to an enemy and hit them no like i think you are just restricted to the taser is your normal that's another thing. thing that's just a very peculiar thing the fact that like a stealth mission and you can't get caught and like if you do it's failure but like your only thing is headshots it's like so you actually want me to leave a trail of bodies behind but i can't get caught throughout the level as well there's a there's a bit of this platforming stuff that's going on that I was talking about like like from the moment you start it's so unbelievably awkward where you're supposed to be going like it's once again just not set up for you to know is this where I should be going like just let me know if there is an enemy up ahead of me do you know what I mean it's just a bit of that but it's it's still like it is the it is the mission that does stand out so that is what we thought of Siphon Filter's Boom Boom, as well as the missions or levels that stood out to each of us. So we are going to take a quick break, and then we will be back to somehow talk about the story (laughs) of Siphon Filters. We'll be back right after this. All right, then, let us chat about the narrative and the voice acting and all that. 
of a siphon filter. But before we get to the voice acting, and don't worry, we will, I wanted to focus on the story, which I recapped earlier. But to be frank with both of you and our listeners, I did that with the aid of Wikipedia. (laughs) Because even though I experienced the story from start to finish, the game does such a terrible job of communicating what is happening that I spent large parts of the game not knowing seemingly pretty important details. (laughs) The game introduces its star, Gabe Logan, and his right-hand woman, Leanne Zheng. Um, And, you know, any important characters in their orbit and what they're doing in such a whirlwind fashion in that opening cutscene that the player has zero time to figure out what actually is happening or who these people are. And yes, as I said, we'll make time to talk about the the voice acting as a whole, obviously. But I did just want to play that opening cutscene so the people at home could hear just how fast things are moving in that intro. <laughs> it's, it's a longer clip, but we haven't had many for Siphon Filter, so I'm just going to give you the whole thing. Now, without the visual element, you may miss a little bit, so I'm going to tell you now that there are three different scenes in this 90 seconds or so. First one is in a Costa Rican forest, where you're introduced to the main baddie, Eric Romer, and secondary baddies, Mara Aramov and Anton Gurdu. Then you're going to hear Gabe and Leanne, our heroes discover a fellow agent of theirs, Ellis, as I said earlier, is now dead. Then we cut to Washington, D.C. and a place just called The Agency. And here is where we meet the three suited and sunglassed men in a shadowy room. We don't know at this point, but one is Agency Director Thomas Markinson and the other is his deputy, Edward Benton, and the other is a, a, the man who comes back in the MCU post credit scene, who isn't it kind of properly introduced until the second game. Then finally, we cut to a village in Nepal where Gabe and Leanne are wearing yellow hazmat suits and talking about the World Health Organization. Now, I haven't given you all the context because I'd just be recapping the story again, but what I have given you is more than what you get, as you'll hear. So, here is your introduction to the world of Siphon Filter. They are coming. Go, torch it. Burn it all. But what about the serum? Leave nothing. Now I will show you how I deal with informants. Finish him. With pleasure. These are the coordinates Ellis sent. Over there. It's Ellis. Executed. Leon, you find anything? The place is torched. I don't know what they were growing, but it wasn't narcotics. Romer knew we were coming. So what's our next move? We watch for the next viral outbreak. We won't have to wait long. Logan's report was clear enough. I want two additional teams assigned to this. Find Romer. I understand. Logan is my best agent. What do you want to do? Nothing. We will wait. We will wait and see what he can discover. Our WHO contact was correct. Everyone within 100 miles is dead. 
Not everyone. This man is still alive. How is that possible? It's not. What the fuck is happening? <laughs> like, yeah, who are these people and why am I meant to care? Yeah, dizzying, <laughs> dizzying stuff. I, and that is siphon filter from start to finish. Like the story is doled out in two ways. At the beginning of every mission, you'll get a lot of uh, text on screen that effectively mentions your goal and what you're doing. And you'll sometimes get cutscenes then that either repeat that information or add a little more on top. In theory, that sounds fine. Like, I'm not expecting some Naughty Dog level performance capture or whatever. I'm not a monster. This game is 25 years old. But we've already spoken about a lot of games that came out around this time on other episodes of the podcast. Obviously, it's hard not to compare it to Metal Gear Solid, which came out a year before. And not to be a broken record, but Siphon Filter's biggest crime is that it, it, it expects you to care without actually doing the legwork to get you to care. The setup of this virus, Siphon Filter, being used by a terrorist organisation to target specific groups of people isn't anything groundbreaking or anything. It's fine. You know, it's, it's a fine... I mentioned Jerry Bruckheimer earlier. Like, it's, it's, it's a fine late 90s action spy thriller setup. The main character needs to save the world and there will be double crosses within his own organisation and all that good stuff. But I just never cared because, <laughs> well, I mean, I was never given a chance to. Like, after that opening cutscene I just played, here is the on-screen text you see before you begin that first mission. Right? So here's what it says. Agency directive. Our FBI informant has pinpointed the terrorist viral attack in the DC subway system. Our contacts within US Defence and Interpol uh, confirmed the identities of the terrorists. We will drop you in after CBDC, brackets, US Army Chemical and Biological Defence Command, operations begin. Your targets are Romer, Kravich, Aramov and Gurdu. SATCOM has intercepted coded microwave traffic. Romer must have an uplink station in the area. Assist CBDC in if needed. Avoid collateral damage if possible. Check your objectives on site for more information. Again, what the fuck is that? Who are these people? <laughs> like, if you've listened to any previous episode of Stealth Boom Boom, I hope you know by now, like, I, I, I'm not asking to be spoon-fed, but Christ on a bike, give me something. And again, it comes down to siphon filter, expecting you to care, expecting your interest rather than actually earning it. Yeah, and, and, and actually it's, it's, it's quite funny because you, you find out what's going on and it, it's not that complicated, but you have to find out what's going yeah. on because the internet, you know, and that's never the way it should be. Which is funny because it shares that with a lot of the old Bond movies. You know, you do sort of think, I'm utterly confused, but I'm sort of having a good time, but I'm sort of have no idea why Roger Moore's just arrived in the desert. What's going on? But... At the point of Roger Moore, you know, you at least know who James Bond is. You know, so, you know, he's a secret. Like this is, this is introduced and you're like, I, who, who, I don't know what's uh, Yeah, happening. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, um, it's, uh, yeah, it doesn't quite compare to Roger. Sir Roger, I should say. Um, yeah, I, I, I it's, it, it's a little bit like that. I do think it's very poorly delivered uh, as everyone just heard there and that people talking you know 60 miles an hour and uh no clue who they are you just got to take everything on uh 
you know, at face value, you just sort of think, right, okay, so some agents are doing something. Hilarious number of acronyms and stuff in 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 what you yeah. in what you just read out as well. Just so so dizzying. And like, also, what when you say FBI informant, what have you got a mole in the FBI, or are you saying someone that works for the FBI who's just telling us a thing, and maybe they shouldn't be telling us a thing? Interagency spy. At the end of the day, uh, it's perfectly standard fare that's just delivered in a senselessly confusing and overly complicated way, which is why I brought up the old Bond comparison. When it, whenever you, when you finally work out and you go, oh, that's what, that's all that was going on. Oh, blimey. Oh, okay. But that was two hours and 10 minutes. Does, does, right. Oh, what was that bit? Oh, I just wanted to get in a set piece with an air balloon. Oh, right. Okay. Fair enough. You know. And that's kind of how I feel with Siphon Filter. It's like, yeah, and you actually find out it's just, uh, they stopped a terrorist from using a virus. But the you're right, like, the, the journey from, from getting that is utterly uh, baffling. Utterly baffling. Uh, I can't, def- can't defend that. But I will defend the premise. I will absolutely defend the premise. What's everyone's problem? Why can't we get this anymore? Because you, because there is a way to just do this in a normal way, in a in a way that's not convoluted. You know, give me the thrillers. I want the thrillers. Where are the thrillers? I've had enough of magic being in every video game. <laughs> I want Leon Zing. You know, I want Gabe. I want folks that are just trying to, you know, stop interagency rivalries, get to the bottom of some sort of viral. You, you know, just. Thriller stuff. You used to get, like you say, you used to get this stuff in the late nineties all the time, and it's just not. God, even something like Alpha Protocol, or 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 just you know, I suppose Grand Theft Auto. I suppose Call of Duty is kind of like the only thing, the only sort of massive thing that we get that's like, you know, barring like you know, sports games and the obvious stuff, driving games and stuff. But yeah, just genre thriller action games. Where are you now? Now, I do think your opinion of the story is coloured massively by the voice acting as well, Adam. So look, yeah, it is. let's talk about that because, well, I mean, the listener heard, it's terrible. <laughs> At best, it's endearing. But if I say that, I'm just looking for positives because it's monotone, it's wooden, it's just, it's just poor. Like the situations yeah. that these characters find themselves in and the main, the main crux of the whole thing, like it's, li- it's quite literally life and death. <laughs> and not just for them, we're talking some large scale stuff here. Yes, and this sort of goes back to what I was talking about earlier. These characters are just rattling off names and plot points at an incredible pace and none of them ultimately seem that bothered. <laughs> and like one thing, and this isn't on the performances, this is on the editing, the queuing of lines only accelerates my disinterest because there's never time for the player to process what is going on. Like character A says something important and then straight away character B will come in with something else. It's it's a very odd decision where people are just rattling through conversations like they just want like they just want them to end. I think it's a reaction to like Resident Evil, you know, when they're like, who opened that door? And then the, and there's like Maybe. a 10. I reckon they were like, look, we're not going to be the guys that do that. We're, but they went too far the other way. They went way too far. <laughs> way too far. Like I have an example here that showcases some stilted dialogue as well as some info dumps, the lightning fast queuing of lines, 
and uh, something I didn't mention a while ago, but how oddly mixed the sound is in parts too. Like I haven't done anything to this audio. So here in order of appearance is the agency director, Thomas Markinson. Then you get Leanne Zing and then Gabe Logan. And this is right, this uh, conversation happens right before Logan infiltrates the big bad Romer's base. So take a listen to this. What else did you find out? We downloaded several data files from Fagan's computers. It'll take a while before intelligence can crack Farcom's encryption codes, but Fagan must have a lab somewhere that's manufacturing this virus. Fagan has disappeared. Interpol hasn't been able to turn up a trace of him yet, and there's still no sign of Romer. Romer is operating out of an old Soviet base in northern Kazakhstan. Our spy satellites have pinpointed the exact location of his compound. The State Department must be able to tell the Kazakhstan government that the United States had nothing to do with the operation. Your chopper will put you down one mile outside the base, just beyond the range of their long-range radar. Hopefully the blizzard will mask your approach. You will have to infiltrate on foot and disable their short-range anti-aircraft guidance radar before evac. Those look like long-range SS-23s. Yes, they're the reason I'm sending you. Before you set the timer, you need to find their missile stockpiles and retrieve the launch codes. We want to find out where he is getting them. You will be carrying several C-4 charges, which you will plant on these fuel tanks. That should be enough explosive to take out whatever arms he is stockpiling. This is Vladislav Gabrik, Romer's base commander. He is personally in charge of security. Contingency plan? If you fail, we'll have another chopper standing by to click south. If I find Romer... Eliminate him. In that, well, one, you... Hopefully you're able to hear how it does this panning thing where it, it, it jumps a bit from like left to right uh, at times, not all the time, but at times. But you also hear how single characters almost jump over their own dialogue yeah. to spit it out as much to spit out as much as they can in a short time. But I will say its main flaw is that it's just boring. That's exactly what I was going to say. It is. It's it, it, like listening to that there again, it, it it actually puts you to sleep. And like, Jesus, the music and everything in the background, like what's going on? <laughs> what's going on? There's no suspense happening. There's nobody making the threat really kind of like full on. Like the music is going boom, 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 boom. You're just like, what the fuck is happening? But like, this was my main thing. Like, like the... Story was dull. I don't even think the story is dull. It's the delivery of the story that's dull. Like it's it's fine, silly nonsense that like th- this terrorist group have created this virus that can target specific people. Uh, you know, it, it it is like I don't know. Like I'm thinking, but you never feel like like you're playing the game. And I don't know how many times in my mind I went, "What's the main?" part of this game again. 100% like that's the thing like you don't siphon filter isn't introduced until part of the way through the game like that's the thing it's just how the how the story unravels is poor and how characters are introduced is poor and it's obviously exacerbated by the lifeless line reads Josh mm. yeah no yeah I, for me if you could fix one thing, I think it would be the, the voice acting. I mean, I, well, 
yeah, you could argue the script. But I think even if you have a good script with these with these voice actors, you'd still be in hot water. I think some good voice acting would possibly help you care a little bit. And I think if you cared, then it'd be slightly more easy to under... Because lots of the time when something is confusing, it is also because you don't care. What's that thing? Uh, oh, no, wait, no, that's the... Yeah. Yeah, it does have that kind of... Uh, what you said, you know, you sort of said, oh, it's, it kind of put you to sleep. It has got that almost like ASMR sort of like dull mm-hmm. cut coupled with the music. You could sort of soothe yourself on a sleepless night by putting the siphon filter cutscenes on. Probably could. And that's, uh, you know, that's not, not a great look for a thriller, but, uh, no, but there, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so that is what we thought of the story and the voice acting and whatnot of Siphon Filter. So now we are in our little miscellaneous section where we mention anything that we have failed to mention earlier that, or that just doesn't fit in elsewhere. And one very quick thing I wanted to mention is that Gabe Logan's jump from a standing start is Olympics worthy. It is unbelievable how high imagine this man's box jump it's unreal because his jump you can't jump in splinter cell or in in splinter cell in siphon filter it's context sensitive so if there's something you can vault over or a pole above that you can grab or whatever it is and he just like it's unbelievable. Like we're talking ten feet in the air. It's unreal. Yeah, he gave up a career in the NBA to uh, to work for for the agency. Did Gabe? This Logan. man's dunk. Imagine it. <laughs> so that I think is what we thought of Siphon Filter. So we are going to take a quick break, gather our thoughts, and then we are going to come back to give you our final verdict on the game. So we'll be back right after this. All right, then, this is the part of the podcast we like to call The Verdict because it gives it some gravitas, makes it feel more grand than it is, (laughs) perhaps. But before we add our final ratings uh, uh, to Siphon Filter... Let us have a look at what some of the critics were saying about the game at the time it came out. So firstly, we have a review published on IGN from Doug Perry, who gave the game 9.5 out of 10. And Perry said, quote, Yes, Metal Gear Solid and Tenchu are awesome games, but this is different. It blends even more game aspects into its core to make it something special. A review on the Next Generation magazine, and they gave it four out of five. And that review said, quote, With unique gameplay, a tight story, and some genuinely exciting moments, Siphon Filter is one of the first quality action games of the year and well worth a good look. Jeff Gerstmann reviewed it for GameSpot and gave it 9 out of 10 and Gerstmann said, quote, While there's something to be said for pure originality in game design, games are more often than not a collection of proven ideas from previous titles put together and given a new face. This game just about perfects this concept. Jules Grant of Electric Playground gave Siphon Filter 9 out of 10 and they said, quote, Excellent control and level design, stealth, action, headshots, interactive environments, 
epic battles with big bosses and great presentation makes Siphon Filter the benchmark for future action games. And finally, Brian Gray of PSX Nation gave it 90 out of 100. And they said, quote, 989 has a game on their hands that could easily become a franchise with the likes of Crash Bandicoot, Lara Croft and Solid Snake. Gabe Logan is destined to join the ranks of video game heroes that each of us can assume on any given day. What? He's destined to join the ranks of video game heroes that each of us can assume on any given day. Are you telling me you don't pretend to be Crash Bandicoot on a Wednesday? Oh, they're like destined <laughs> that each of us can assume. Can assume? Assume the role yeah, of? Yeah, like can assume the role of. Yeah, Siphon Filter is the surprise hit of early 1999. <laughs> but lads, as I always say, none of those opinions matter. The only opinions that matter on this podcast are Adam's, Josh's and mine, as we bestow badges of approval or disapproval on Siphon Filter. So, how this works is that each of us will give Siphon Filter a rating out of three. The ratings are as follows. A pass, a play, or the top marks, an espionage explosion. We change the order of ratings givers on each episode, and this week the order is as follows. It is Adam, Josh, and then Colm. So let's give our final ratings of Siphon Filter. Adam Carroll, take it away. Once again, this is one of the tricky ones. Um, going to it, I was very excited. Uh, really, really kind of thought this was going to be a belter from start to finish for me. Obviously, going off what we discussed, it wasn't for me anyway. Um, I do think its main issues are the story and probably, like, not probably, but its voice acting there. They're just really kind of like, just they're just not, it's not good. It's not good there. But the other things, for the most part, work fine. It, 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 it's, it, it's a fine game. <laughs> it works away grand. It's not, it's not unplayable. It just, for me, it needs, it needs more. Now, whether that comes in two and three and the other ones that came out on the PSP and stuff, I don't know because I never touched those. But this was interesting because I think I had in my mind I, the game I had in my mind going in was completely different and I think the overall experience I kind of came out from it going oh wow that was kind of bare is is how it is it just didn't it didn't stick with me after I finished it I was I was kind of a bit bummed out over because it, it, it was kind of that game that like I'm holding it up there and for that really I it's a pass Josh Wise. I I think I'm in kind of a similar boat. I think I'd probably give it a play just because there's enough here that I did enjoy. I think as a stealth experience, it's a it I think if you were like only obsessed and like you know determined to to kind of do it do it as a stealth thing, then I, I would understand anyone just going, nah. But I think the thing is it does do a lot of stuff uh Pretty well. I did. I did like the the movement. I did like um, the animations and stuff. And uh, and I do sort of have a soft spot for the peeping out, getting headshots, and all that sort of stuff. And I, I generally just have a soft spot for the genre and for siphon filter. But yeah, it's 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 close to a pass. This one because I know the series gets better as it goes on. It it I think it reaches its 
best point on the PSP, weirdly enough. But um, yeah, it it was a little bit of a rude awakening for me as well. I still, I like, I would still have it as a play, but it's it's a kind of you know, it's a it's a low play, but you know, it's it is worth playing. I'd say so. I did like things about Siphon Filter. As I said, I, I enjoyed the sense of achievement, the accomplishment when you finish one of those missions where you've loads of objectives. You're going, oh my God, how am I ever going to do this? And you do it. And again, genuinely, like the the, the emphasis on the, the headshots and how enemies will drop their armor. I'm like, oh yeah, this is great. This is really terrific. It creates, it, it makes a headshot even like as well, like obviously they're important because they'll down enemies in one, but they make them even more important because you'll also, if you're low on health, you'll be able to pick up, pick up the, the flak jacket and there you go. You have more armor uh, before you continue your, your journey into solving this mystery, this very compelling mystery. I mean, to get onto that, God, it's not compelling. And it's like, <laughs> it, it could have, again, it's not going to be a world beater. It's, it's fairly standard fare. But it, yeah, if if that voice acting was better, then maybe it would make it more interesting. If the way the information is doled out as well, if that was better, I I could have been more on board. But there are just aspects of this, like I'm not on board with the movement the way you lads are. I think the I I do think there's more stealth in this than the both of you do. But I think that how obtuse it is about its systems really bugged me and how like the radar, I don't know if I even emphasize that enough, how lads can just come out of thin air going, well, is the radar not meant to be the kind of the great equalizer in this regard? But it's, it's not in a lot of cases because guys will just pop up behind me or in front of me or whatever it is. Part of it as well is how it, how it definitely outstays its welcome uh, does amplify some of my problems with Siphon Filter as well. So for me, Siphon Filter is a pass. But lads, forget it. Forget Siphon Filter. We've done it. We've got the Gabe Logan t-shirt. We've been tased to death <laughs> because we need to focus our attention on what we're going to be talking about on the next episode of Stealth Boom Boom. Because on the next episode, we're going to be discussing a game that James Swinbanks of a GameSpot called, quote, Bitter Disappointment. Martin Robinson of Eurogamer called it, quote, a resoundingly mediocre game. And DM Schmeier at IGN said, quote, it tries to be so many things, a stealth game, a military thriller, a third person shooter and an urban survival adventure. And yet it fails on every level. We're only going back five years for this one, though perhaps we will regret it. We'll find out on the next episode of Stealth Boom Boom. We're going to be discussing, reviewing, dissecting, in capital letters, Left alive. Two one two five zero four zero three. It's the day our hero died.
are you? Don't they teach rookies not to go wandering around on their own anymore? since dark have we come across a game <laughs> where they forgot to turn caps lock off they are firmly on that shift key all caps left alive now as i said five uh, only five years have passed so i am guessing that the i could be wrong but i'm guessing that the both of you remember this adam carroll do you, do you have any previous with left alive um i just i never got around to playing it um, I just know the backlash it got and surprised by the backlash it received because of who was involved in the making of it. Yes, because this was not the, the quote, Metal Gear Solid game, but it's, it's uh, I guess, the character design and it seemed very Metal Gear Solid like the box art. It was a man we've spoken about before, Yoji Shinkawa, was involved with Left Alive as some people from... Uh, from software we're also involved with this but you know we're getting ahead of ourselves that's for the next episode Josh Wise have you any previous with Left Alive? No I was aware of its kind of legendary reputation for being a big old bag of shite um, but Yoji Shinkawa like I knew I, kn- I knew about it and I looked at the visual design at the time and thought to myself that's something I will definitely play one day um, that was in the days before Stealth Boom Boom so I'm very excited that that is the reason why I bought a copy of Left Alive. I haven't played Left Alive. I remember it being announced and I remember going, oh, yeah, exactly. This is, is this a, you know, a new series that is going to be, uh, t- take some things from Metal Gear Solid. And I, I guess, I guess we'll find out. Now, I suppose I say a new series. It wasn't a new series. But uh, that's one thing I do know. It was a spin-off of a pre-existing series. But again, all things to discuss in a fortnight's time. And if you, dear listener, want to play along at home, you can 
you can buy and play Left Alive on Steam if you want. However, I will say that is how we all of us were going to play it. And Josh Wise did a bit of sleuthing mm. and he discovered that it PC may not be the best place to play it. Yeah. So that is why all of us will be playing it. We've all got our PS4 copies and we're ready to go. So yeah, we'll come back in two weeks time to discuss our time with Left Alive. Left Alive! And then have to do that dark thing again. Looking forward to that. But dear listener, that just about does it for this episode of Stealth Boom Boom. Thank you very much, dear listener, for listening. Of course, if you want to subscribe to our lovely little podcast, you can do so via your lovely little podcast catching app. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, etc., etc. You'll find us there. Also, if you do find us there and you listen to us, you subscribe to us and you like what you hear, do rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. And then we may read your review out on the show. Just like we're going to do for Psycho Pumplemoose. <laughs> Terrific. Uh, they said, quote, The fellas really have something great going here with the format and camaraderie. Even the occasional review of a 20-year-old game I've never heard of, (laughs) nor have any intention to play. It sparkles. It's a must-listen for me. Thank you very much, Psycho Pomplamoose, for that terrific review. And the terrific name, Psycho Pomplamoose. That's great. Indeed, indeed. So yes, please do review us and we, indeed, may read your review out on the show. Mm. Uh, you can also follow Stealth Boom Boom on social media. You can uh, find us there at Stealth Boom Boom and you can follow all of us. I am at Column underscore Ahern. Adam is at Adam Zokes and Josh is at Joshy Wise. But now it is time for my least favourite part of the show. This is the part of the showrooms bid the listener adieu. So say goodbye, Adam Carroll. Goodbye. Say goodbye, Josh Wise. Bye. And say goodbye, Colm Ahern. Sloan Guffaw. Oh,